Welcome to the Leaders in LiDAR podcast series hosted by Umbilical Technology. In this series, I interview senior members of the world's leading LiDAR manufacturers to give you an insight into a misunderstood sensor technology that I and the guests of this series are confident will be ubiquitous in the coming years and providing benefits to society for a wide number of exciting use cases. So today I'm pleased to announce that I'm joined by the co-founder and chief development officer of Quanergy. Uh, that is Tian Yue Yu, or Dr. Tian Yue Yu, should I say. Welcome to the show, Tian Yue. How are you today? Great. Yeah, thank you for having me. Not a problem. Very good to be joined um, by someone from California. I'm sure the weather there is a lot better than what it is here in the UK at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a sunny day today. Definitely not not the same here. I'm not sure if you can see, but it's very dark and dull at the moment. So very much the case for the, the UK. In a, so look, for those of you listening who might not know too much about Quanergy, Quanergy are one of the leaders within LiDAR sensor technology. They are based in Santa Clara, California, and were founded in 2012 by Tian Yui and two other colleagues with an aim to address needs in five main areas, which are 3D mapping, security, smart cities and spaces, industrial automation, and transportation. Um, so a wide brief there uh, in regards to what your, help me understand firstly, back in 2012, how was it that Quanergy came about to be founded by you and two of your colleagues? Yeah, so the, we uh, go back to history. So at <laughs> 12, I uh, founded the Quanergy with two of my colleagues, and then we started in a uh, typical Silicon Valley garage that's, you know, residential in, in the garage, and uh, we started building, uh, building prototypes there. I think the idea at that time was really trying to find an area that has high impact to the society, and then we looked at a number of options, a number of areas, and took a very structured approach to narrow down to the different areas and where we we with expertise can make contributions so that's eventually the come about with the with the areas we're focusing on and then the uh, the rest is history and now that's uh, nine years almost nine years later it's where we are today definitely and were you always the kind of based on your background um in your phd you were always kind of the driver behind the, the technology right and kind of the the development of the LiDAR system? Mm. So as a matter of fact, three co-founders are all technical people. So we're all like with uh, with a technical background. And then our uh, the CEO at that time, uh, Louis, his PhD is in silicon photonics. Mm-hmm. And uh, my PhD is in optics, uh, the high resolution imaging, lithography. And the third co-founder, Angus, PhD is uh, not, he's a, uh, so the third co-founder is the mechanical engineer. And so we are all, you know, technical people. That's also what uh, brought us together. And uh, so within that, we each complement to each other, building the, the systems and developing the business. Kind of just within the three co-founders, you almost have the complete system development for the LiDAR system there with the, the mechanical, the photonic, the laser technology there as well. So that back then... Back in 2012, what was kind of your initial vision for Quanergy? Mm. Yeah, so I think uh, this is a great question. I think the vision came at the time that we believe LiDAR is the best centimeter accuracy, you know, uh, 
three-dimensional device to take 3D information. So even though at the time, a lot of the uh, uh, like verticals of these are not as clearly defined as today, but the, the overall vision is to democratize, democratize LIDAR and it can impact in many different areas. Certainly the autonomous driving at that time, uh, early uh, like 2010-ish, that was a, 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 um, early early technology trend so that was that caught our attention but i think as we evolve and especially in early days we're not limited to only automotive because we believe lidar's impact is way beyond automotive that is one vertical among many so that's why we determined to um to actually focusing on not only the sensor, but also the software, the building up the system solutions that would allow us to be um, faster in terms of getting into different markets. LiDAR adoption has probably only been more recent, I'd say, 2000 and 2016 onwards, probably more of a trend towards widespread adoption of LiDAR. What was it like back then in kind of 2012? Because imagine not there wasn't many uses for lidar outside of kind of research kind of other applications right exactly i think at that time we, we were we were basically ahead of the curve so uh, being ahead of the curve it's also uh, brought with its own challenges because at that time not too many people know about lidar and and also you know self-driving cars was also considered a more like okay futuristic stories and things like that and then when you're talking about cars and automotive is considered a very you know traditional mature industry so we was not easy to 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 go out to get initial funding so so now looking back that uh, I think the whole LiDAR and self-driving car industry really boomed in 2016, 17-ish time. That's lots of capital uh, rushed into the field but in 2012, 13th time that was uh, really early. So um, we were fortunate to, to have a number of early backers. They are believers in our technology and in our vision. So we were able to start developing early on. The early the people that must have been backing you back then were definitely visionaries. I think people understanding LiDAR technology has only became more recent. And definitely the, the adoption of it and the cost reduction has been even recent, 2018, 2019. So what was it like pre-2016 going to investors and explaining the technology? And I imagine that was quite quite difficult to some extent, right? <laughs> right. So I think, as you mentioned, there are certainly uh, in the early investment uh, domain, there are, we, we indeed need visionaries, right? And then because it's so early and other people are not doing that, how do you know their investment would be successful or not? So we were fortunate to have our our early investors, a number of uh, angel groups, and then, and also people trusted us and invested in us. And then I think in 2013, end of 2013 we closed the seed round and then moved into a humble um, small facility in Sunnyvale and then started the building up the team as well as the prototypes and then um 
once you start to get a foothold, and then we had early interactions with some of the major OEM companies, and because those OEM company, luxury brand OEM companies, Daimler and such, they they actually invest in um, early technologies, and they are very very acute to the new technology development. So then they they paid attention, and we were able to to convince them on the future of the lidar and in this uh, in the industry because they they themselves are insiders and then they are also developing those self-driving vehicles at that time you know may not call that self-driving cars because google made it so so public of self-driving cars but uh, like daimler even 20 20 years ago before 2012 they have already been testing sunnyvale so some of the automated driving so um it's not uh, to the insiders it's not a surprise so that's what had early tractions with some of the players and they being uh, supporters. And then over time, one that's getting more and more well-known in terms of the LiDAR's potential, the, the, the automated driving's potential. So then they're getting more more broader attention from the, the capital markets. Definitely, yeah. That's kind of how it started, wasn't it? With the, as you've said, the, the luxury brand and premium OEMs who could afford the, the higher cost of, of a lidar system in a vehicle, but obviously it's becoming it's becoming more widespread now as the costs decrease considerably. So, is that what you think has made it a lot easier now for lidar companies? The fact that the the technology is more well known, um, and also the costings have gone down, or do you put it as another reason as to why lidar is becoming more commonplace? Yeah, I think everything comes with you know the both sides there is positive and maybe some of the drawback i think attention to lidar from the self-driving autonomous driving community that's great because that's one of the main use there but on the on the at the same time what it brought is like it caused a lot of companies to only focus on those applications and for the autonomous driving or for auto, automotive industry in general that is a very high bar to cross because the automotive industry it's uh, like cars uh, especially the safety systems in the cars has very stringent requirements not only the performance but also reliability safety in many different areas for for uh, for startups young companies to solely focus on that and especially uh, tie your fate with a an industry that is still at the beginning stage because for the self-driving car even without lidar that is still take a lot of time to develop algorithms decision making path planning so these all taking a lot of time and then for small startups to associate your fate too closely to a emerging tech emerging technology it's also um has its uh, danger there so i think because our vision is actually that lidar can serve the world in many different areas. So very early on, even 2016 or before that, we are starting to invest in in other areas because that is aligned with our vision. Our vision is not only for cars. So that's why um, at the early 
in 2016, when everybody's jumping into the, the car, car vehicle applications, we're actually starting to, to building up our, our technology capabilities in other areas, in security, smart space, in those areas, and also in from 2017-18. And we start to build up our our further um, higher level analytics stack, the layers. So these are the the activities or strategic decisions aligned with our original vision. And then now looking back, that's actually that's actually uh, allow us to be a little bit um, weatherproof because, you know, if you're too closely associated in certain industry and then you are, you're, you're fated to too much up and down with, with that. As you've said, and I think you've explained that very well, with everything going on in the LIDAR domain for specifically for automotive, the barriers for entry, especially for a small company, are very hard. I think I've spoken with one company who were explaining to me that the test that the sensor had to go through in order to be deemed automotive um, kind of capable. And it was, yeah, the tests are very rigorous. And as you have said, for a small company or a startup company, to be able to do that is very difficult, um, especially to do it at cost as well um, and in a short period of time. So I think Quantigy's approach to also working within other areas of LiDAR technology and other applications makes perfect sense. And I think as we've seen recently with coronavirus, the automotive industry took a big hit. So if a company is able to also have different areas where they can also kind of sail into, they're going to have a level of stability that companies that focus purely on one area um, might not. One thing I did want to mention that you're working with different li- different applications of LiDAR. Not only that, you're doing something different than other LiDAR companies that I primarily speak with, that you're not just working with one type of LiDAR or one type of LiDAR technology. So you have both mechanical LiDARs and solid state LiDARs. Why was that decision made? Because a lot of companies I speak with, and these may also be smaller companies, they tend to focus all of their development efforts and budgets on creating the very best product within one area. So a MEMS LiDAR or a flash LiDAR. Why did Quantigy decide to approach that slightly differently? Yeah, this is a great question. Actually, uh, uh, brought me like back to the early on days because I think the answer to that is really uh, always, um, you know, for the decision making, for the strategic uh, directions, always keep the end in mind because, as mentioned, our our ultimate goal is to democratize lidar for all the many different industries. So our end is not necessarily polish one technology because that is, of course, something we need to do along the way but then those are the means to the ends so the ends is actually to serve to 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 fulfill real real life applications so then we look at the different technology choices and we develop the solid state you know optical phase array based solid state but then those we determine that it takes time to actually mature because these are very much uh, uh 
very much development heavy in terms of the components and then building up into the systems. And then the, the, the many of the applications can be served by the LiDAR system that's performing well, does not necessarily have to be solid state at the get-go because LiDAR at the at, at that time was still at the beginning stage, not too many people, not too many industries using LiDAR. So to serve the ends, we at the time developed the mechanical LiDAR, which is a much shorter time to market. It's a relatively more mature technology, fundamental technology wise, comparing to the solid state uh, optical phased array LiDAR. So that's our, uh, you know, the end goal. I think a lot of our decision makings along the way were actually guided by our vision and also the end goal. So that's why we're not having what's it called invented here syndrome or only do things like, okay, our technology is the best and the others are bad, you know, things like that, or focusing on the technology itself because we're confident in our technology, in the technology stacks we're building. And that's why we actually look Looking more focusing on the end goal. What's the end goal we'd like to achieve? And then we do the best way to serve the end goal within the time frame that can, can support that. So that allow us to um, mechanical LiDAR, we build up the product portfolios, build up the solutions. I would like to emphasize one of the major differentiation of Chronology from other LiDAR company is that also guided by our vision is that we actually build up the system solutions very early on. Again, that's because the end, we focus on the end, what's the end goal we'd like to achieve. So we like to get the system solutions into customers' hands sooner. Otherwise, if you just have a sensor, what, you know, that's limited, a lot of the customers need to build up their solutions. So, so that's why we build up the mechanical setup, the as well as the whole solution to start deploying. And it, it takes a few years to fine tune and finding the market fit. It's not like we know we have crystal ball knowing what other would buy. So it, it takes time. And that's uh, actually along the way, we learned a lot with different markets, different products, different solutions, and then different uh, uh, sub-market within a bigger domain. So that allow us to be uh, building more polished products, regardless mechanical or solid state. So that is uh, the serving the end goal. And in while these activities running in the foreground, and then we have a lot of development running in the background on the solid state side, we have to start building all the components from ground up. All these semiconductor chips, OPA chips are designed, custom designed from ground up. These take longer, much longer lead time. So those uh, allow us some time at the background, building up the system, building up the capability, and then the learnings and also the system solutions we built with a mechanical platform actually can be applied to the solid state platform when they're ready. So we are now uh, a few years, you know, many years after the, the initial funding, we're now starting to enjoy the um the, the, some of the fruit from the early decisions. So now that for our solid state products, we were able to take advantage of some of the buildup in the mechanical world. Basically, understanding of the markets, understanding of the solutions, the use cases. So we were able to accelerate and be more, um, more efficient in terms of finding the market fit. I see. So the, yeah, so the mechanical LiDAR and the application of kind of the M series 
educated you and educated the team there regarding how the solid state LIDAR, which obviously has other applications, can be built up in kind of the most efficient and most cost-effective ways for, for the customers that, obviously with the solid state LIDAR, it tends to be more automotive customers you're focusing on there, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and also in terms of the technology development point of view, I would like to emphasize that even for the in the mechanical LiDAR area, there is still a lot of innovations can be done there because I think end of the day, we would like to have a system that is low cost, reliable, right, and meeting the customer needs. So it's it's not, a, you know, it's always easily said than done. So yeah. there are still innovations there. It's, uh, we try not to be so bifurcated in terms of mechanical or solid state, it's actually a technology, as long as they serve the ends, these are all important areas to pursue. As you've said, I think it's came a long way from what was first in the industry kind of 10, 15 years ago or so, or even more recently on the first kind of automotive application, large, clunky kind of things kind of on the top of vehicles. How has the development there been within the mechanical state LIDAR? I mean, how much innovation have you seen from the first model to what's now available? So I've seen the M series is a very small device, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so I think for the M series, now we have a few uh, different units or variations of the M8 on the market. We now also expand into the industrial market, that's M1. So many times, I think, especially as the technical technical people, we tend to pursue something look very very um, flashy looking, very uh, high techy and also looking very uh, noble. But in, in the end of the day, what's guiding, uh, what's more meaningful is actually work on things that's actually making the real life, real world impact, right? So basically when we're looking at the, the surveying the current LIDAR market, actually in reality, a lot of the LIDARs are used are actually one beam. Yes. <laughs> so as, as a matter of fact, that is the case. And then even in there, there are a number of unmet needs. So that's why it's not, uh, even though I think our ultimate goal is the 3D LIDAR, the per, 3D world perception, and then there are still a lot of the the contributions we can make even at the 2D LiDAR world. So that's why last year we started to add a product onto the onto a 2D LiDAR M1. And then even along that, we, you know, the cost, again, cost reliability has been a, a bottleneck attributes that uh, affecting the people's adoption. So we're going to expand and build on top of that to provide more higher reliability, more robust and the lower cost uh, offerings for the both 2D and the 3D LiDAR systems. Definitely. And obviously that's one of the main issues with mechanical LiDARs, isn't it? The, the amount of moving parts um, can affect kind of the robustness and the reliability. Um, which is why kind of you don't tend to see it now in the automotive domain and um, because there's better methods there available. But I suppose within industrial automation and the smart city application where the LIDAR is most likely going to be fixed in a certain location with no real movement, I suppose that will lend itself very well to a mechanical LIDAR, right? 
Right. In some of the um, application areas that's more in confined environment, the industrial automation or warehouse, that the vehicles don't travel like off roads, don't travel in those kind of all kinds of daily daily environment as complex as in the our um like consumer vehicle industry. So where uh, in, in those cases, the, the use, uh, the user requirements, it's much lower, but then certainly in some of the application there, for example, in mining, the shock vibration, those kind of requirements are also high and the dust, right? Dust uh, the ingress protection. So depending on the different applications, some are, are um, maybe uh, less stringent than automotive industry. And some, some areas are more, more, higher requirements and i'd like to get into the kind of some of the applications of the m series in particular at uh, this moment because you know, from my reading and from my research some very exciting kind of use cases of lidar that may not be well known to some people so i'd like to discuss the m series and the work that you're doing there in korea uh, regarding kind of smart cities and smart spaces can you tell us a little bit more about what the LiDAR is being used for there on the crosswalks? Right. So we had a number of deployment in Korea. So they, they actually cover different areas. One is actually that's on the port at the port, uh, uh, the port automation area where the LiDAR is installed on the, some of the infrastructure and some of the vehicles and to allow the port automation to be more efficient. And in another deployment in Korea, that's in a prison. <laughs> so in the prison application, that's for the security application where you guard, you protect the perimeter of the of the prison to prevent the unauthorized uh, entrance just going into then those in a little bit more detail the the prison one and the security aspects of lidar my understanding is that the lidar would be positioned similar to a camera on a wall and it would then be used for detecting and classifying that it's a human that's approaching the perimeter and then my understanding is that the LiDAR will then trigger the cameras to start working. Is that the application that is in place there in Korea? Right. So I, I may not discuss the, all the details in specific, specific deployment, but I think what you described for the security application is spot on. Yeah. Uh, that is actually a very uh, a good uh, description in what's actually happening in our Cortex solutions. There is a latest version that has uh, latest versions has the um has the ptz camera control okay. so the ptz camera control allow the lidar as the triggering device that can be used to track and detect a track and classify the intrusion and then with that trigger then pass the signal to the ptz cameras then those cameras can pointing to where the suspicious behavior is happening so then that will allow the um allow the the monitoring or the back-end security personnel to be more efficient in terms of looking at what's happening at the perimeter of course and one thing we've on there is the lidar being the initial detector and classifier now People who may not have a very good understanding of LiDAR will likely be listening and thinking, why can't a camera do that? But LiDAR has very important privacy applications, doesn't it? So why is it that a LiDAR is better suited than a camera in carrying out that first stage object detection or mapping, so to speak? 
Mm. So the uh, LiDAR has advantage comparing to cameras in a way that LiDAR is an active device. It's actually actively sending out laser pulses and uh, detecting the object. And, uh, you know, that's uh, allow the active detection to happen. Instead of the camera's case, camera rely on the ambient light. So during the evening times, there is uh, the, the contrast is low. Certainly there are the camera field is also evolving. There they're trying to build more higher sensitivity or there are even thermal cameras at nighttime. So these are also has certainly cost involved. So um, LiDAR certainly has an advantage pairing with the PTZ camera using LiDAR as a primary device to, um, to detect in those more challenging environments. And LiDAR has much more accuracy in terms of the object detection that the location position-wise comparing to the camera. So LiDAR can detect a very accurately centimeter level accuracy at a much longer distance than camera can. And when cameras, uh, depending on different range of cameras, so there is also broad range, but otherwise LiDAR's range can be much further along than the camera can provide. So this, these are the main reasons where they, for the security applications, the, the LiDAR has advantage. And one other application that I wanted to discuss is um, the it's the LiDAR use, but then also the data aspect that comes from that. So with regards to kind of the smart city application and smart mapping, um, LiDARs are being used to kind of manage traffic flow and people flow. What benefits does that bring to the kind of the users uh, of those systems? So, for instance, a council or a, a town planning committee. Mm. Yeah, so we have a number of interesting applications for the uh, traffic flow. So one application I like to discuss is that our deployment in Korea that is outside of the school zone. And in the neighborhood, you know, the kids getting off the off school and then they need to cross the street. So the kids' the safety is the most important uh, the priority in our life. So that's why we work with the system integrator local um, deployment, working with the community, have our LiDAR systems installed around the school's intersections. So when kids crossing the street, the LiDAR system can monitor the, the traffic flow around it and Usually, normal case, everybody should stop and allow kids to, to walk through. But then we would need to have early alert on the, on the, you know, the violations and things. So the, to provide more protection to the kids. Yeah. And I was reading when smart cities become more kind of prevalent and everything's more connected is that when LIDARs are kind of used in that application, real time data or data can be fed back to the, to the town planning committees and councils and what that could potentially allow is for stop signals during kind of school hours so when the kids get off the bus in the morning when they go home it could potentially lead to those times where the, the lights will be on stop being longer or it may allow for different aspects of flow in the in the long-term future umbilical technology we help leaders of organizations at the forefront of innovation secure talent ahead of their competition yeah so yeah for the long term definitely this is a great area and then certainly need local municipal or, or government support in a way that the system the or the the effect of the uh, 
contribution can be much more amplified if there are many, many intersections all have the systems in place. We had a, a demo systems uh, early deployment in Adelaide in Australia. That's actually in the intersections to monitor the traffic flow. And then the, the data is the feedback into the control systems to adjust the traffic lights, right? So you want it, you don't want the people to wait too long in the red light if there is a cross traffic, really no cars uh, driving past by. So that's why, so those are the, the applications that can have holds a lot of potential. Some of those would require a um, much bigger effort to be on ourselves as a you know startup company. That's more working with the system integrators, working with the major the network uh, providers as well, working with the local governments to have those deployment in place. In addition to that, we also have a project with the SFMTA. So that's the San Francisco's um, uh, the transportation authority. So that is to install a number of the intersections at a number of intersections in San Francisco city for the very first, uh, a deployment that was around the new stadium. There is a new stadium being built up. And then certainly with a new stadium, you can imagine, say, at the game night, there are lots of traffic where people yeah. might come to, to watch the game. So that's why a number of intersections actually build up with our solution to monitor the traffic and allow those uh, the times to be managed more efficiently. Wow. So it's kind of almost like I played a game when I was a child. I'm not sure if you remember it, Sims, Sim City. And kind of you can see the data that you get from certain areas and you can immediately see that there's a problem at a certain intersection. That's kind of something that may be possible in the future if LIDAR is used with kind of the right data sets and in collaboration with the government and things of that nature. Right. Yes, we see the trend is already happening. So with initial demonstration and the proof of concept, and then the cities or the authorities start to see the value and then start expanding the number of intersections. Because for those kind of solutions, you need more and more of those nodes coordinating with each other, right? So then you can have a more smooth traffic flow in a, in a district, in a region. I'm working with a lot of companies at the moment kind of globally that are, are working on kind of the sensor technology that will support that. So vehicle sensors in the vehicle that will communicate with sensors on, on buildings and things of that nature to support that. So, yeah, I think we're definitely in the initial stages of something where that could be more prevalent in the future with smart cities. It's a very interesting area, um, both for LIDAR and general sensor technology, because I think the research that I've seen suggests that kind of in the US alone, I think it's one person dies from a being well, one pedestrian dies from being hit by a car every, I think it's 80 or 90 minutes. So confident that LIDAR will be able to support and reduce those numbers for sure. Right. Yeah, definitely. We see LIDAR play a very important role in those kind of infrastructure, you know, the intersections, the smart city applications, as well as, you know, ultimately for the transportation that that will be used as part of the vehicle driver safety systems. So to complement the existing systems and bring the automation level higher and higher. So allow us to have more time back to ourselves as well, have some much safer driving driving experience. Definitely, yeah. I mean, this, the most unsafe thing on the road is us, isn't it, really? Kind of the humans driving the car. So the quicker we get to kind of automated driving and to smart cities where everything is kind of controlled by sensors, I think 
the roads will be a lot safer for sure um, in that regard. In the industrial automation space, certainly increasing the industry uh, industrial automation, say efficiency. At the same time, that's also increased the safety around those vehicles because the auto- automated vehicles moving around in the warehouse, then the the safety of the workers, the safety of the the machines, all these are all very important. So I see that lidar plays a very big role in many different industries and then some are safety related and a lot of those are also other increasing the efficiency increasing the flow management increasing the um the overall quality of life seeing you're doing a lot of work as you said within industrial automation i think i read regarding the ports i think that's a, a large area where lidar will see more more use based on kind of the facts and figures i've seen from you guys that I think it paid for itself in a couple of months. It drastically increased efficiency. So confident that LiDAR has uses there in automation. So it's an exciting time, definitely, in this uh, in this space. For sure. Now, one thing I do want to discuss, because I think, as you know, I think we've, as we've discussed, a lot of the, the other podcast guests are very much focused on automotive LiDAR applications, which I know is something that, Quantity have been focusing on for a number of years now. So that's not a mechanical LiDAR project. Um, it's what's classed by some people as the holy grail of automotive LiDAR applications. And that is a, a solid state optical phased array LiDAR, uh, your S3 model. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, definitely. So the uh, solid state LiDAR certainly is associated very strongly with automotive industry because of the requirement on the high reliability and the low cost right performance. So this is the uh, areas that is a emphasis of the company. But as I mentioned, a lot of these are happening in the background because of the very long lead time of the development and the components. We are pretty much growing growing our own ingredients before we can, you know, allow us to 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 build into the, the dishes and build into the, the end product. So it takes time and efforts. The team throughout the past eight, nine years had made tremendous progress, especially there's a lot of acceleration in the past year, despite the pandemic challenges. So we made a lot of progress in terms of the system understanding, increasing the performance capability, expanding the performance envelope. And now that we are getting into the stage where the, the performance levels become relevant to mobility applications. I'm saying that because in in the past years, like a lot of work on ha- are happening at the beginning from 2014 to 18-ish, building up the components, building up the initial systems. So a lot of these are um, have limited range or at the indoor range. So we were able to build a system that has more than the 50 meter range for indoors. That's more than enough for industrial applications, but certainly for the automotive, you need to go outdoor. So yeah. then from the, the, the 19th, uh, the, we, 2019, we started to bring the system to the outside. And, uh, you know, as in any of the new technology development, at the beginning that you know that's still the baby steps that's a very limited range and then very um lots of technical issues to resolve and then we were able to um bring lots of the uh the cross discipline bring the team together so last year uh, 2020 we were able to achieve much better view in terms of the 
many facets of the in underlying in interacting parameters and the building up the total understanding of the system. So now we are able to achieve a hundred meter range at the current technology platform, technology node. The technology node actually imply a number of the fundamental components leading into, into this, uh, this node. And then we have new components being designed and fabricated to support the next technology node. And we have early indications about the uh, about the next technology node that we can get to 200 meter range at 10% reflectivity targets, meaning very dark targets mm -hmm. under the very bright sunlight conditions. So these are the progress we're making. And then we will be um, uh, later this year when the new technology iterations components arrive and we are able to build them into the system, then we will start to engage more with some of the end customers to discuss about the uh, specific product definitions and product designs. Right, no problem. Yeah, and you mentioned there kind of a hundred meter range uh, of the current kind of S3 iteration. So my understanding is within the automotive world, minimum expectation is around 150, 200, right? Well, a lot of, a lot of people referencing some of the numbers. So first, you know, the, the range value itself is uh, meaningless if we don't have a surrounding parameters laid out, but that's too much technical details to get to today. So let's take the face value, say 150 meter to 200 meter out. That's definitely true. So that's why I was very, you know, excited to report that with our current uh, experiments and the testing, we do have early indications about the 2021's uh, new technology node that can bring us to about 200 meter range. So that is a very important indication. And at the same time, we are building up a rich portfolios of S S the technology-based products. Basically, we allow that to have a number of different field of view and the range combinations. Same as the current, uh, currently many sensors are used in vehicles like cameras or radars. They have, say, long-range camera or long-range radars, right, for the forward-looking applications. There are also wider field of view cameras and the radars to surround the vehicles. So we see that this the same kind of uh, portfolio approach will happen in LIDAR as well. This is where we're working toward. And then we're building up a number of portfolios for choice, the configurations that has the forward-looking longer range or more surround view yeah. LIDAR to surround the vehicles. So um, it's a very exciting turning point of the company where we have much longer uh, the range in the, in the plan and also in execution the new components are coming back this this year, this quarter actually, and we're going to integrate that into the system and getting to the 150 to 200 meter, as you mentioned. And certainly for some of the surround view applications, you do not need like forward looking 150 meter, mm -hmm. but then those will have other requirements in terms of the field view, say coverage, right? So shorter range, but the wider coverage. So these are the a number of different pieces we're building up the the portfolio. Right. So is that primarily what the the Esprit is doing at the moment? Kind of surround view with the the next iteration being kind of front range or front facing long range automotive applications. 
Right. Yeah. So a lot of those uh, discussions need to happen with the end customer, right? The tier ones and the automotive players, OEMs. So they will have very specific uh, requirement there. That's not, not necessarily talking about, oh, what's the range or the technical parameters. It's more talking about what kind of end problem you're trying to solve. Are we trying to build a, say, um, traffic stop and go system right so these are the the the, the language when you discuss with oems they're more talking about the specific features the specific use cases than talking about the like the range to to start with because we need to first define a use case then we talk about for that use case what are the attributes needed from the sensors and what are the other sensors in the overall sensor suite in the total safety systems so that you can uh, put lidar together with camera radar and complementary to each other and the different sensors serve a different slice of the purpose lidar doesn't work on its own it has to be used in kind of collaboration with the radar and the camera usually lidars obviously as you as you know is used as the redundancy mechanism for those other sensor technologies. So yeah, I fully understand that the use case has to be defined before um, you start saying, oh, this LiDAR can be this far, if that's not what the uh, the OEM needs from that. Um, one thing I do want to discuss though, because with regards to your technology, it's very exciting. Um, so yours is a solid state LiDAR and it's a true solid state LiDAR as opposed to a, a MEMS LiDAR. So what does that mean exactly for kind of someone that might not know too much about LiDAR? And what are the benefits of a true solid state LiDAR as opposed to a, a quasi semi-state or semi-solid state LiDAR like a, like a MEMS LiDAR? Right. So I, I think that certainly as the name implies, the MEMS LiDAR micro like electrical mechanical system. So that is a mechanical system fundamentally. So some people tend to put that into solid state because I think that MEMS is the small look, small and look feel wise as if that's a chip that look like, oh, that's a chip that's solid state. But in reality, within that chip, that's a micro mirror being steered. So that's system. There are certainly um, some of the reliability issues, the performance issues associated with that. But um, uh, so this is the difference between the uh, MAMS or mechanical LiDAR versus in terms of the solid state, like in OPA, optical phase array case, that is based on electronic beam steering. Everything is a true solid state. There is no moving pieces. So for the high reliability and the low cost, that is the, the ultimate uh, attributes that's very attractive to the, to the automotive industry. Of course, yeah, because there's less, if there's less things, quite simply, if there's less things moving, there's less things that are going to break uh, in the long run. So yeah. But again, I think the fact that we are doing that, so I do want to emphasize in a way that, again, the end, right? So regardless, so I, I think it's not necessary to be so fixated on the ideology, okay, mechanical solid state, in a way that because we're doing solid state, I think ultimately for us, we are focusing on uh uh, achieving the automotive industry's requirement reliability because those are not just uh, on paper we need to realize that to demonstrate that validate that and then uh, 
certainly we we are confident in terms of this architecture choice because you know the radar industry has gone through from mechanical radar to solid state radar nowadays the radar in our cars are all face ray solid state radar there's no big moving radar tracking device right we see in those battleships or like in old movies so we we see that uh, opa solid state uh, lidar will be ultimately be the um be the architecture of choice but again just because we're doing that i don't want to have the you know we're taking it for the sake of that solid state we do want to making sure that we validate and um, eventually fulfill the potential of the technology not dumb it down but on a very basic level difference between a mems lidar look please correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding is with a mems system there as you've said there's small mirrors that are controlled mechanically that will reflect and guide the the beam so that the laser beam whereas with a optical phased array lidar there's no movement it all comes from the the algorithms and the system within the chip which will then form and steer the beam electronically so without any need for moving parts right right exactly i think you actually know quite well in all these uh, details exactly that's the case for mems there are the small mirrors in, in reality some of the design needs actually force the mems lidar to use a bigger and a bigger mirrors then it becomes almost hard to be called a mems uh, micro because MEMS, the first M stand for micro. So that's uh, getting into so big that uh, it's almost getting into the macro mirror domain. But um, for the solid state, indeed, so we're through the electronic beam steering. So this is the, um, the, the, the laser beams are steered and sweeping the, the view angles with no moving parts. And as you've said, something that's quite common in radar now, most radars are phase modulated FMCW or PMCW. So LIDAR is kind of following the, the development of radar to some extent. Yeah, this is also the reason why a number of the OEMs or tier ones were our early, early backers, you know, the believers in us because they, they themselves are developing radars and then they use the phase array technology. So the optical phase array in our solid state LIDAR is more a natural extension of the current day, um, like what they're, they, they were doing for the, for the radar. Yeah. So they understand the base technology behind it almost. So, you know, I think I've got a great overview of well, all aspects of your organization there, both the, the mechanical um, applications and mechanical products, and also the more recent um, F3 and the kind of the phased array aspects that you're working on there. So just with regards to the, the future, then you're, you're developing um, this optical phased array solid state LIDAR for automotive. You have the other product lines that are very well established for different use cases. What do you see with Quantigy? You're already at 200 people around at the moment. What do you see in the next three to five years in terms of the Quantigy as a business? 
Yeah, this is a great question. And uh, as mentioned, our our solid state, we will build up the the solid state lidar portfolio, and our strategy of actually uh, deploying the solid state lidar is that we currently already have the very first solid state lidar product on the market that is used in flow management application for the people counting, and then we're also working on the industrial application, so the to build up the product for the industrial and mobility markets and then we uh, because that's a much longer lead time in the transportation markets we are engaging the OEMs and customers with a long range now now that as I mentioned that our capability is much more improved into 150 to 200 meter range so we're starting to engaging with them on the specific definitions which will have a few years lead time to the actual deployment in the in the vehicles so that as you can see that is our strategy for the OPA-based LiDAR part. At at overall business level, I think what we do is to greatly improve the top lines and penetrating into different markets because for some of the markets, we already have the the foothold and then we're going to expand. And for some of the newer markets, industrial markets, we are establishing our initial seeds and start expanding there. So these are the, the overall roundup of the different, uh, different markets and supported by different technologies. Again, I want to emphasize our technology stack is not only on the sensors, uh, even though, you know, OPA solid state considered like a hardcore science, but uh, we have have the mechanical, as I mentioned, for the mechanical LiDAR, there are more innovations to do there. And for the solid state LiDAR, of course, we're continuing making the progress. On top of that, we do have our Cortex solution. There are a lot of technology build up there as well for the object detection, tracking, classification, for the obstacle avoidance. And also on top of that layer, we build up ad- analytics, which actually provide uh, actionable insights from the object detection, from the what you detect in the field, then you get those into actionable insights. We have some of those um, early examples in airports, for example, that you can monitor the people flow, and then that would provide very useful information, insights to the airport operators to, uh, to operate the airport more efficiently. Great, yeah, and I think that's something that we didn't discuss in too much detail, but the the software that you have supporting the the lidar sensor technology itself. Actually, you've mentioned the the Cortex system and the um, the, the people counting systems as well that allow for the data insights that, as we discussed earlier, will lead to benefits to society in kind of the long term. Which is something that a lot of other organisations aren't focusing on because they focus purely on the automotive. So with regards to kind of what you've mentioned is obviously consolidating and expanding the mechanical market. But with regards to the the automotive market, um, what do you see kind of, because I know that the the S3 has been in production since, well, has been mooted in production since around 2016. When do you foresee, when do you see it going into kind of mass production and going into OEM vehicles, because I know that some of your competitors may already be slowly reaching that stage over 2022, 2023. So are you on that timeline or... 
Right. So this is actually a, uh, in terms of the automotive timeline, there is a somewhat a moving target. As you mentioned, like uh, the automotive industry currently is having some challenges that the, the started show even before the pandemic, certainly 2020 caused a lot more disruptions and, you know, the slowdown in, in the automotive industry. So what we see there is a lot of the timelines actually lagging behind. There will be the high volume opportunities will be very, um, people are very cautious about having those sourcing decisions. There are some uh, exploration programs in a low volume vehicles or very luxury brand as optional packages. Those were already in place like in um, a few years ago before the the whole you know the challenge uh, the period so that's why those programs will will carry through but i think in in our case it's actually the timeline worked out well with us because we now were able to get into the the performance range that is uh, be relevant to the automotive applications, to mobility applications. So our goal, as mentioned, is 2021. At the later of this year, we're going to build up the prototype systems and start engaging with the customers. And then the 2022 times, we would like to um, get in more detailed in terms of product definition. And many, you know, in automotive, it's not like uh, consumer industry where you have cars usually take four to five years to function. So then that is more looking into 2025, 2026 timeline. And even for that timeline, I, I can see sometimes the automotive companies are very cautious in terms of introducing um, the, the higher end uh, packages for those because that is also they need to gear to their, their consumer base. So overall, I see that automotive industry right now is very cautious. Yep. And uh, and in terms of the investments the programs, but this timing actually work out well with us with our development timing allow us ample time to to develop and complete the the adoption as well as the product definition. Great, yeah, and I think I think you're right there as well. I think lidar, there's some initial lidars that will be going into kind of mass production vehicles later next year. But I think 2025 onwards is when the costs will be low enough um, for the automotive domain to really see them being used in vehicles other than your kind of very high-end vehicles um, where costs don't really matter as much. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think one thing you've said there I want to touch on, I think Quantity are in quite a unique position from what it sounds like there, whereas a lot of companies, what they're focusing on at the moment, especially within the automotive domain, is creating a LIDAR product in mass production on the kind of a feasible cost basis. Um, whereas kind of, I imagine you've already got that based on your rich experience in production. It's more about focusing on the meeting the performance targets, right? Yes. So this actually uh, tie back to our architecture philosophies. So at early on days, we know that automotive company or the, the industry would look for low cost and high reliability platforms. So there are early on days when you have, you know, uh, just a blank piece of paper, you can uh, draw whatever you want. So that was actually a lot of choices that had to be made on what kind of wavelengths to use, what kind of engineering construction to use, what kind of technology 
not the approach to use. So eventually we chose a path that allow us to, to take full advantage of the CMOS, the semiconductor mature technology, the backbone, the supply chain, as well as using a, um, the, the, the process where that allow us to get to the ultimate lower cost system. So a number of other maybe uh, newer companies, they, they are more focusing on a, choosing a platform which has inherently higher cost. Yes, initial performance is better for the demo, for the initial exploration, for the initial learning, but ultimately for the high volume or low cost deployment, there will be a lot of challenges there because of the technology choices made early on. So in us, in our, in, in our case, as you mentioned, we, we made the hard choice to stay at the low cost platform and the performance took us a long time to eventually get to where we are today. So now that we are getting into the relevant domain of the automotive applications, so it is really the turning point of the company to, to now engaging with the, with the industry, engaging with those use cases that we were not able to address previously. So now that 2021, 2022 are the time that we will have very close interactions and then discussing about the specific use cases that we can address. Yeah, it's a very unique position to be in. I think a lot of other organizations are struggling with the the mass production aspect to making it. And also, as we discussed earlier throughout the podcast, that our our vision supported us to go, um, you know, much broader than automotive and also our applications of even more specifically for the solid state, our our use, our the markets, the flow management, industrial markets. These are other markets actually allow us to hone the manufacturability, the processes, right, automation to allow us to carry through much lower cost base than just only focusing on automotive because that's the volume and the cost is a a uh, you know two ends to uh, kind of situation but we were able to allow many other critical parts of operation to mature even uh, while having the automotive application running in the background because that's much longer lead time so by then we will have a much more mature or learnings in our workforce, you know, our engineering team, the manufacturing team, much more applications, much better yield and much more experience using the solid state systems. And then by the time that you get to deployment for the automotive, that's a very natural drop in into the automotive applications. So yeah. as you know, as mentioned, regardless of what's outside the world is evolving, the automotive industry is a challenge there. We focus on what we do today. And we know the end, you know, the vision, the end goal is always there. The difference is only, you know, a few years here or there timing, right? So yeah. as the, the macroeconomics up and down uh, going around us, we focus on our own execution. So we focus on every single solid steps for the different markets uh, into different markets, as well as uh, optimizing our manufacturing process, automation, and uh, do all the right things not being affected at high level macroeconomic events or in those industries. Those are things we cannot control. We do what we can control and focus our efforts little step at a time. And with each of the engagement, each of the new product definition, we are closer to the end goal. Okay, great. Look, perfect. Good for me to understand as well. And look, exciting times, LIDAR, just in LIDAR in general, both for automotive 
and for non-automotive use cases as well. Um, I think, as I said, this is probably one of the first podcasts I've done where it's with an organization that isn't focusing purely on automotive applications. So learning more about kind of the smart city applications, the security applications, and the industrial automation applications, I think great to speak with them about you, sort of speak to speak with you about them. And I can't wait to see kind of what's in store for LIDAR, both inside of automotive and outside as well. Um, it's going to be a fascinating couple of years, I think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. For thank sure. you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on and thank you for your time. Um, just one last question. and I'm asking all of the guests this, just to get their own personal view on it. There's a lot of companies within LiDAR technology at the moment. In three to five years, what do you think the market will look like? <laughs> yes, I, I believe. I, I think there are too many too many LiDAR companies this market that I think a consolidation will definitely occur. It's it's natural, it's healthy, it's actually good for the for all the players in general. Three to five years or a couple of years down the line, we'll we'll do another podcast and we'll see uh we'll see kind of who's still who's still around and, and what their product line looks like. It'll be a very okay. interesting thing to revisit at that time of mind for sure. Great. Thank you.